All right, welcome back to the I'm There podcast, guys. I'm your host, Freyway, and I'm here with my co-host, Ken Chan. And today, we are going to be doing a myriad of talk topics, but before we get into the show, I did want to give a shout out to the people over at our Patreon, as we do have a new one, and I want to give a shout out at the beginning of the episode this time. So we have Connie, Austin, Leon, Quest, Garen, Hylian, TCG Automotive, Silver Chronic, Tari Tinsley, Dimitri Barnes, Alexander Brissett, Vinny Casello, Dominique Roberts, Game for Gyoshi, Alex Flamer, Gabe Marini, Andre Reynolds, CJ, Dubkdad One, Saul at Dabbers Gaming Cafe, Dan Vrabel, Dennis Milburn, Joseph Marcello, Scott Page, and Newly Red Vines. Thank you guys so much for being subscribers of our Patreon and I Am Their Podcast. Um, you guys are interested in that type of thing. We have uh full-length video versions of the podcast that drop on there. We also have exclusive episodes that only drop on the Patreon. They're not on any other platform, Spotify, Google, Apple, anything. They're only on Patreon. So if you're interested in that, you can check out our Patreon for that. Uh, we'll be doing a March episode soon that is exclusive to Patreon, and the people in our Discord get to vote on that. So if you also want to join our I Am Nerd podcast Discord, uh, you can become a patron at the lowest tier, and you gain access to that. And you only have to be a patron one month to get access to the Discord. We don't kick you out if you decide that you don't want to be a patron anymore. You know, people have <laughs> financial responsibilities. We're not going to police the Discord and be like, oh, this guy is no longer a patron. Let's kick him out to Discord. Get him out. Get him out, yeah. So... With that being said, uh, we do have some listener letters from a couple weeks ago that we haven't gotten to just because our episodes have had guests lately. And when we have guests, we usually don't do the listener letters. But I did want to go over some of these uh, before we jump into some of the other topics that we have today. And there's a lot going on right now in the world. I know if you guys have been following the news. You have all the stuff happening with Russia and Ukraine. And I hear all the complaints about gas prices. And I know that's affecting a lot of people who have to commute to work. And some people are... You know, toting about Tesla and electric cars and that whole thing, but most Americans are still on gas, and the price of gas in some places is as high as seven dollars. I've seen so. Damn! Yeah. You see the meme? I'm sure you have. It makes me laugh, but uh, it's like it says something along the lines of uh, "Yeah, I've never paid attention to gas prices. Fuck, I'm going to walk." Yeah, I did see that one. I, I saw a couple of them that were good uh, about the the price of gas. There was there was a video where a guy blindfolded his wife and she was like, uh, he told me he was going to take me somewhere expensive and they pulled up at the gas station. He unblindfolded her (laughs) and she's like, why are we here? And he said, you told me you wanted to go somewhere expensive tonight. So that was good. I reposted that one. I love memes. I'm a big fan. So if you guys have funny memes, feel free to send them to me uh, directly or, you know, whatever. Tag us in them. I love that shit. Bitch, I bought you a full tank and a gas station hot dog. Right. Two months of, it's the first class date night nowadays. And a gas station hot dog. You balling. Oh. Yeah, I can't. I can't. Maybe, that. If you're lucky, if, if I'm feeling real nice, I might get you a taquito while we're there. So. <laughs> Not a taquito. I haven't had those in years. <laughs> we still got to do our food episode, too. I'm, I am really uh, a big proponent of candy, chocolate, especially M&M's, Reese's, Snickers, Twix, cookies and cream, Hershey's with almonds, all that stuff. And then, like... Sour Patch Kids, Starburst, Skittles, all the candies we grew up on, and Crybabies, a lot of other stuff. And we have uh, our one friend, Dominique Roberts, in the Discord, who is also a big foodie, and he's going to come on for that episode. So that might be coming real soon, the more I think about it, because I kind of want to do, well, I think we will have to do more than one episode on food. It'll you know probably be an episode just on sweets, and then an episode on fast food chains and ranking them and that type of thing, and a tier list, like Chick-fil-A and Popeyes and... Who has the best chicken sandwich? Who has the best fries, checkers, and McDonald's and all that? So there's always a lot of debate with that type of there's thing. A, there's a lot of rants in there. Oh, yeah. There's plenty to be had. 
I eat a lot of fast food. I barely ever cook. So for me, uh, fast food is pretty much the lifeblood of my existence. Like I, I pretty much survive on all types of fast food almost every day. Unfortunately, that's just how it is because I hate cooking and I rather pay for the convenience. I don't know if anyone else feels me on that, but it is what it is. I don't have anyone to cook for me, so yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so we have this book of a listener letter from Dan Glennon that we've read a couple sections from already, and he still has more. So I just want to finish this one out today and put this one to rest. Uh, okay, so he has a section on here about our episode on RPGs way, way back when. And we reference RPGs all the time, and we're big nerds here, so we love pretty much all of them. I think Kenny's pretty much playing one right now, a strategy RPG called Triangle Strategy, which we will talk about later in the episode. Yes, but, sir. But for now, Dan writes in and says, uh, RPGs, I actually wanted to discuss the RPG episode, but I found myself wanting to scream out something during it, as if you could hear me. Uh, Bravely Default's battle system triggered a light bulb moment for me. I can't remember the boss, but they would wipe out my whole team in one attack. I raised my defense, I lowered their offense, grinded up my stats, nothing worked. Then I thought, what if I could uh, come back or just survive long enough that I can heal? Casting re-rays wasn't efficient to protect my team. I solved this problem with two abilities, Angelic Ward and Rise from the Dead. If I be hit for lethal, there's a chance I live with one life. If I happen to die, there's a chance I come back. I get that one turn, and card games are like the cousins of RPGs. I switched primarily to Magic the Gathering in 2010, and I also absorbed the history of the game like a sponge. Uh, one of the Power Nine, the rarest, most popular cards in all of Magic. One of them is called Time Walk, and it reads, take an extra turn after this one, which that card is just not okay. That card is not okay in every card game. Uh, so I, that's me saying this. This is not even a listener letter anymore. I've played too many card games where take an extra turn is a thing, and it's just like, why the fuck did they think that this is okay? But anyway, uh, it's similar to Braving an Attack and Braving Default, but you gain more resources and you get an extra attack step. Uh, things that become available over time. You gained a turn's worth of resources and took the lead in a race. Time walk your opponent is a term in magic that means to essentially neutralize an opponent's turn, gaining a lead in a race. Ryza, the Storm Monarch, is a perfect example of a time walk. With these extra resources that you gain over time, you reduce your opponent's life points to zero. Uh, basketball, football, soccer, any game with a timer ticking down is typically someone trying to do the most of something within a time limit or do the least of something within that time limit. Score the most points, make more baskets. Uh, 18 holes in golf is a pseudo timer as there is still an end result that has measured actions to produce a conclusion. The least amount of strokes within 18 holes. Uh, who can last longer or finish something quicker than someone else serves as the conclusion of that game or competition. The conclusion of all games is caused by some measurement or manipulation of time. Oh, and Fraser, if you haven't gotten back and beaten Brave Default yet, do it. The biggest mindfucker in a good way I've had with... An ending recent memory. I'm not really sure what he means by that, but I only have ended Bravely Default 2. Kenny and I both played that back in the beginning of 2021. And I did play Bravely Default the very first one up until like book three. I think it was the fire book or something like that. And I just stopped playing it because I think a monster in a game came out. And that typically neutralizes every other card game, every other video game for me. Like at once Monster Hunter comes out, I drop everything I'm doing with my life and just focus on Monster Hunter. So Unfortunately, I never went back to it, and I honestly don't know if I ever will. I did have a lot of fun playing the game when I was playing it, but uh, I can't even say that I'm super interested in going back to the first Brave of Default. Like, I enjoyed the second one so much, but it's really not on my radar as one of the games that I really want to go back to. What I'd say about that, it's unfortunate. Brave of Default 1 is fucking amazing, and 
the ending, the whole end sequence is really, really good and definitely worth finishing to see. However, the problem is that it's on the 3DS and like, who's bringing their 3DS back, y'all? Like, yeah, I, you know I mean? and I have mine too. Mine is actually just chilling in my living room. Uh, and people, when they come over, they always like grab it and touch it because I have the special edition Monster Hunter 4U version. But I have not touched that. It's so dusty. I haven't touched that thing in literally years, actually. Actual years. Yeah, yeah. It's tough, man. Like, <clears throat> a couple months ago, I found one of my old 3DSs, and I was messing with it. And it was cool that I turned it on and messed with some of my old save files. But it's just really hard for me to play that thing for an extended period of time now that I've had the Nintendo Switch for so long. I yeah. just I don't have a desire to play it. Like, and there's still games on there that I really good games that I kind of want to play, but yeah. it's like, ugh, I gotta go through the process of charging my 3DS, and... I think that's the thing, is that it's like the Switch really took the place of it. If if the Nintendo's uh, newest console was actually just a home console and not a handheld also, I think yeah, the 3DS yeah, yeah. would still have some merit, but they killed the 3DS when they released the Switch, in my opinion. And no, I, I agree. Yeah, because and, the Switch is such a huge upgrade, too. And yeah, it's just the process of keeping, like, First of all, I mean, obviously, the 3DS is handheld only, and it's a small, it's a, you know, it's it's small. Yeah. So you play it, you're playing like, the, you're, you know, you're playing a Game Boy, and so, you know, you get used to how nice the Switch's screen is in terms of handheld. But then even on top of that, I, when I'm at home, I don't play the Switch handheld, unless I'm in bed and, like, getting ready to go to sleep. Yeah. But for the most part, I play it on my TV. Yeah, same. So it's just, it's really tough to play the 3DS. And then on top of that, like, you have to find... Enough. I have all my outlets filled with all of my computer stuff, my audio visual <laughs> stuff, my charger. Like I don't have room for a 3DS charger. Whereas the Switch, I just pop it into the dock. Like you don't ever have to think about charging your Switch because it just charges anyway because you have it docked. And it's just it's really tough to get your 3DS going. But Bravely Default One is so good. And if they re-release it or something or remaster it on the Switch or or maybe on PC, uh, it's definitely a game worth going back to. But yeah. yeah, yeah, I just don't. I feel like it's so far behind me, and I can't honestly say I've had a desire to go back to it. I had so much fun with it again, but it's just not something I'll ever go back to if I'm being completely honest. There's so many other games that I would have to play first. I have a ton of games that I could play at this point. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. So, yeah, I'm, there's always that build up. Yeah, I'm at, I'm so overwhelmed with the amount of games I could play at this point that people have recommended to me and that I actually want to play myself. So, anyways. Uh, next part of his listener letter is on Final Fantasy. So he says, I know it is a separate entity as far as gameplay is concerned, but you all seriously need to put respect on Final Fantasy Tactics name. I will argue that it has the most compelling plot and I will die on that hill that Ramza is the best protagonist in the entire franchise. I'm actually working on a thesis about the game for a class in my major media and communication. That's interesting. So you are currently playing a strategy RPG by Square Enix, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, Final Fantasy Tactics is super old school, 90s game, and it was Square Soft, I'm pretty sure, back when that game was made. But Yeah, yeah they weren't Square Enix yet when Tactics came out. Yeah, that game is super old, and it's been remastered or redone in some kind of way uh, since its oh. initial release. Yeah, they weren't Enix for a while, right? Because I yeah, think yeah, even happened. FF... By the time FF, FF10 was still Square Soft, I it think. Is. Yeah, FF10 is Square Soft. Uh, it starts off with the Squaresoft, like a Squaresoft logo. I won't say the Squaresoft logo, but a Squaresoft logo. Yeah. And yeah, I don't know exactly when it became Enix, but one of the first games I do remember when it became Enix was uh, Star Ocean to the, to the End of Time. I think that was the name of the game. 
and I think the main character's name was Fate, F A Y T something like that. I played that game. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, really, really fun game. Optional bosses were insane. Freya and uh, Lilith from Valkyrie Profile. But yeah, Square's been That's holding dope. it down. Yeah, I know. Square's been holding it down for a very long time with RPGs and even strategy RPGs and. I respect Final Fantasy Tactics. Now, I've never ended that game. I've played it up to a point, and then it's another one of those games that I just kind of stopped playing for whatever reason, and I never yeah. went back to. But my best friend has ended the game several times with all types of different endings and stuff, um, and just played it even after he's beat the game, because that's kind of how a lot of strategy RPGs work. Like You kind of beat them, but then there's still post-game content that is actually... A lot of times more fun and challenging than the actual main game. So I respect Final Fantasy Tactics. Uh... I know we don't bring it up a lot here, but it is definitely one of the iconic strategy RPG games like ever. Tactics is a, so <clears throat> I don't know how many people know this or not. I've mentioned it though, but I love strategy RPGs. Like huge fan. I've played every Fire Emblem. I've played every Deskaya. Um, I've played FF Tactics and FF Tactics Advanced. Um, and then also Advanced Wars, which is a strategy game, but not a strategy RPG. Uh, so I really like strategy games a lot. Uh, that said, original FF Tactics was on the PS1, and I think I talked about this in the PS1 episode, is I nev- I personally didn't own a PS1. In my house, the PS1 was uh, my mom's boyfriend, so like I was only able to use the PS1 like when he wasn't home, or if he was asleep and it was like 3 in the morning. Yeah. So like when I played Final Fantasy VII and all these other games, it was always like in secret or whatever, because, you know... I was hiding the fact that I was using not my PS1. I think I talked about playing that shitty Magic the Gathering game that is like, I don't know what that game is. I don't know, but it wasn't Magic the Gathering. I know exactly what game you're talking about, but that shit was not Magic. But uh, so I also didn't end FF Tactics because at the time that I played it, I just I just never got a chance to. And um, I never really got a chance to go back and play it, which I probably should because I, I love Tactics games. That said, I've played a lot more of Tactics Advanced which I know a lot of original Tactics uh, fans don't like Tactics Advance, but I played a lot of Tactics Advance as well. But anyway, that game's amazing. And a little bit later, we're going to talk about Project Triangle Strategy. And if you love FF Tactics or Tactics games in general, you have to play Triangle Strategy. It is such a beautiful like next step for those games. It's so good. All right. And let's see. We have his section on Super Smash Bros., so he said, I just started playing Super Smash Bros. Ultimate uh, because a bar league popped up in my area. Oh, and Richter fucking Belmont was revealed. I love playing him because he plays like he does in Castlevania. What characters do you feel playing Smash most like they do in their original game? This is easy. Mega Man was the first to stick out to me after the Belmonts. So, yes, Mega Man, the Belmonts, uh, Kenny, you know, the fighting game characters. They really do play like they play in fighting games pretty much. Like, Yeah, yeah, dude. It's crazy how like Kazuya Mishima or Ryu or Terry, like they play very, like they are very faithful recreations. Like even Kazuya, obviously it's not perfect because in Tekken's a four button game um, with left, right punch and kick, but the way they were able to capture Kazuya in smash is still really, really incredible. And then he has all his moves from Tekken basically. Yeah. He's even got his wave dash. He has more moves than any other character in Smash. I think he has the most moves on any character. Oh, yeah, yeah, easily. Because he has a tilt attack for all eight directions yeah, on like, the stick. He uses the full directional pad, or I guess the, the analog. Like, he uses everything. Yeah, yeah. Because typically, 
Yeah, typically, like, you'll have forward tilt, which is forward, up forward, or down forward. It'll mm-hmm. always be forward tilt, and you have down tilt, back, and, well, you don't even have back tilt. Back tilt is just forward tilt the other way, yeah. and up tilt. But Kazuya has an up forward tilt, a down forward tilt, a forward <laughs> tilt, a back tilt, a back down, and a back up. He also has, like, while you're already crouching, tilt, yes. and then he has a crouching attack, and, like... He has so many small iterations of a move and all these different in He has a wild ro- rising, which I think is so damn cool because uh, in Tekken they have like these wild rising moves, yep. which like you go from crouching and then you let go of crouching. So as your character is going back to the standing state, that in between states, certain inputs create different moves. And that's never been in Smash. And so, like, yeah, Kazuya has a ball rising, which the, is so sick. The fact that Kazuya has so many more moves than all the other characters makes him automatically uh, very promising from just a standpoint of I have more options than everyone else. And the other thing that I was thinking about when he first came out, we, we found out that he has so many more uh, possibilities is what if that's the future of Smash? Like, what if Smash yeah. gets more complicated with, you know, instead of just uh, up tilt, down tilt, and forward tilt, we end up with all the directions of the octagon, you know, as options yeah. to us. And then characters move sets open up so much and that will destale a lot of things. Uh, you know, it, it it would change the game a lot, of course, once you add more options. I mean, what, the first Smash game did did it even have tilts? Uh the first Smash game is interesting. It didn't have so you couldn't charge your smash attack. You couldn't charge smash. You did a smash attack, they just happened. Um on top of that, in terms of tilts actually don't know if it had tilts. I think it did have tilts. Okay. I think I, I think remember. it did have tilts. But actually, yeah, yeah, it did have tilts. It did have tilts because Kirby up tilt is broken. Oh, yeah, yeah, um, <laughs> Dude, the, yeah, foot, yeah. the foot it, going up. Yeah, it did have tilts, but it didn't have chargeable smash attacks. It didn't have side B. Yeah, so there was, was no just, air dodging. There was no air dodging. There was no wall teching. Like, if you got hit against the wall or something, you couldn't tech. Um, there was no side B? There's no side B. There's only up B, down B, and neutral B. There's no side B. So, for example, um, Link, as you all know, his neutral B is bow and arrow, side B is boomerang, up B is spin attack, down B is bomb. In Smash 64, he doesn't have bow and arrow. Neutral B is boomerang. Oh, wow. He doesn't have bow and arrow in um in 64. Yeah, so the game got a lot more complicated with Melee then. Yeah, Melee added a, like, a lot. Melee is one of those games that I think... Is the perfect successor. It took literally everything the first game tried to do and just cleaned it, polished it, made it better, more exciting, fun, everything. Like Melee was the evolution of 64 in such an interesting way. Um, And it's a great example of what a sequel should try to do. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah. But also, on your note about uh, adding more complexity to characters in the future of Smash, I would love that. I would love if there was like an in between. So, I wouldn't want all Smash characters to have as much as Kazuya, because it's like, it's a lot. Yeah. But, I'm, also, I'm also saying this from the standpoint of someone who does not believe he'll ever be in another Smash game, though. So just keep that in yeah, mind. Yeah, yeah, I don't think yeah. Kazuya I, I agree. Will, yeah, I don't think Kazuya will be in the game anymore, but he could be the future as far as how they designed him. And that's more so, uh, I, I would think of it from the standpoint of Kazuya will no longer be there, but other characters will take the fact that he could do all those different inputs and yeah, do yeah. Too, yeah. I think it'd be cool if, like, so, for example, uh, a good in-between is, like, we have uh, up, down, and forward tilt, and up, down, and forward smash. Yeah. I think a, a good next step would be if the next smash game, whatever it would be, if all of the characters are up, down, forward, and back smash. Like, I think back tilt and back smash 
would be cool. Is it like, like is it truly new moves, different yeah. move than just your forward smash the other direction? It will be actually um, cool if back tilts and back smash could still hit forward, but they kind of move the character backwards when they do it. So Wolf's forward smash and smash. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. They should just reprogram that to be his back smash, quote unquote. And you know how he takes a step back when he does it. Literally, yep. that step back gets him out of getting hit sometimes. And it'll punish people who come in. So they'll come in and if somebody will do forward smash, he'll kind of move back. So they they remap that to back smash. It'll still pull him back and have him do that thing when he shoots forward. Uh, a lot of characters actually do real back when they do their smash attacks. Falco, yeah, his, yeah. Falco's forward smash and ultimate, he pulls himself back as well. And he does like a, a chop type of thing with his, both his hands. And yep. that that would be the same type of scenario. I think she gets into a low profile when she does forward smash. She kind of like pulls back and she does the two kicks. So it's it's already there for them to remap certain moves and then they can just make new ones all together. But the idea of back smash and back tilt being actual separate from just forward tilt the other direction would be cool as hell. Dude, I just thought of uh so you know in Monster Hunter Longsword, he he has the the fade slash yeah. where he like steps backward and slashes in front of him as he like steps backward. Yeah. For longsword. Like imagine Marth's back smash. He charges up and then it's him doing like he steps backward and slashes in front of him as he steps backwards. Yeah, that like would his be back smash. cool as shit. Like how that would be sick. He's like getting out of the way and slashing in front. I know of him exactly the visual like, too for that. I can see what you're saying in my head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I can literally so, see him doing that move in my head, and it looks cool as hell. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, but you said what characters in Smash do you feel like play like their original game? And I think that it's mainly the fighting game characters and Mega Man. I, yeah, I, yeah. The, some of the other characters are just completely like Pikachu is not as broken <laughs> in actual Pokemon games as he is in Smash. He's literally considered top three characters in all of Smash Ultimate. And yeah, um, some yeah, the most interesting ones are always not. I mean, I guess not always right because Mega Man and Richter, but um, and you know Simon obviously. Yeah. But some of the great examples are um. In the DLC, like Sora, the last DLC character. Yes. Does he play exactly like Kingdom Hearts? No, but not, I mean, neither does Ryu or anybody else. But right. Sora does feel like a king, like the way his, his combo works and it chains together, and like he does feel Kingdom Heartsy. Like, yeah. And, a and really, yeah, and they gave him a lot of his moves from Kingdom Hearts One. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He has a lot of his moves, and it feels natural. But when I when, yeah. I'm, when I'm playing with Sora, watching Sora, it does feel. Like, it's true to Sora's character. All the moves that you see him do, it's not like they really had to make many of them up or anything. Like, most of them yeah. are just things that he can actually do in a game. Um, <laughs> also, how much more faithful can you get than Hero? Like, you got a, you got a menu. You got a yeah. menu. Hero's cool as hell. <laughs> it really is You got a DLC. menu while playing Hero. <laughs> now, can you speak to uh, Xenoblade Chronicles 2, like Pyrometra? Is there anything about them as far as how they switch between each other? Is that, like, a thing? Like, how does that work? Yes and no. So, I would say Shulk is a better job at representing Xenoblade gameplay than Pyramithra. Okay. So, like, the way Shulk plays, the way he has his uh, his arts, his Monado arts, and, it, you know, speed buster, all that, like, that is really accurate to the way you play Shulk, you know, in uh, Xenoblade. Interesting. Obviously, Xenoblade's a, it's a RPG. Yeah. So it's not an action game. But um, the, 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 what they try to do with the Monado arts really feels like Shulk um from Xenoblade. Whereas with Pyramithra, although they did use a lot of their moves and animations and techniques that are in Xenoblade 2, the way they play 
doesn't necessarily feel like Xenoblade 2. Like, yes, Pyre and Mythic can switch between each other, but ultimately their gameplay, it's not as representative as Xenoblade as, as Shulk yeah. was. It's more like they're just sorties in Smash, and there's so many. Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, I got you. Yeah, no, that's 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 real. Um I'm trying to think if there's there's so many characters in Smash, and I'm literally drawing a blank thinking about the the menu of characters and who there's, they play. There's a ton. I mean, they they've done overall a decent job. Like some things are pretty generic. Like Captain Falcon, obviously, is like no. Yeah. Um, but like Link, I think is like it's not perfect, but it's pretty decent. Because if you look at any Link, people hate Link players, right? Because they're always throwing boomerangs and yeah, bombs and, and yeah, but. You know, that's Link. It has an arsenal, right? Yes. He uses that's his how he arsenal. Fights, ends all the games. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, although not perfect, I think Link is pretty well adapted. Um, but you know, not not everything. Like a lot of the older characters aren't too accurate. Like yeah. Ness, as a lot of people know that played Earthbound, Ness has is an amalgamation of all the party members from Earthbound. He's not. That's not ha- like. Ness can't do most of the moves he has in Smash. Ness oh, doesn't really? Do I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of the moves that Ness has in Smash, it's like a collection of all of his party members in him. Okay. Uh, the way he plays in Earthbound isn't... Like, he doesn't do all those moves. He doesn't have access to them. Gotcha. That's good to know. Yeah, I think I think those are the main ones. And we may have missed some just because of the fact that there's 80 characters in that game. But... Yeah. Uh, I think I think that the fighting game characters, Mega Man, like those are the big ones. Uh, even Pokemon Trainer to a degree, because although like yeah, in Pokemon you just select a move and you do it. It is cool to see how they interpreted those moves to be used in a fighting game. Like you still see, yeah, yeah. when someone's Ivysaur, he's still doing Razor Leaf constantly. He does Vine with. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think that's really cool. I wish he had Solar Beam, but but it's re- it's really cool. And then the way Charizard does like fly and. Uh, rock smash i think that that's really cool to see those moves interpreted for a fighting games purpose and not just like an option that you select on a four option menu yep but that's as close as they can get is pokemon games do not play like that yet uh, yet yeah pokemon, yeah, is, pokemon is trying some new shit lately to get are. to get it less like just select this option it's trying it's trying to get there they they you know they're making some strides but yeah overall Smash Sakurai and the Smash team, they do a good job at interpreting characters. Yeah. Some they do better than others, but yeah. overall, they uh, do a pretty good job. Maybe you want to ask, because Pokemon has a fighting game, I just remembered, Pokken Tournament or whatever it was called? Yeah, Pokken Tournament. Did yeah, you that? was made by Bandai. Yeah, yeah, I did. I actually have it on Nintendo Switch. I didn't play it on Wii U, but when they re-released it on Nintendo Switch, as I do with all the Wii U games, um, I did. Pl- I bought it and played it quite a bit. How, how is it? It's actually insanely fun. Um, yeah, it's actually crazy fun. It's... Uh, it's a really weird mix of like an arena fighter. So think, you know, Ninja Storm. Yep, that's exactly um, what I was thinking. But it's also a 2D fighter. So the way it works is there's like an arena mode where you guys are fighting. And then when you get in, like, and that's when you're far away and you're shooting like all arena fighters are spammy. And like your Pikachu spamming your Thunderbolts or whatever. But when you get in and land a certain hit, the game switches to a 2D fighter. And you do like 2D fighter like Tekken combos. And then you're like legit in a 2D fighter doing footsies and stuff. And then when you do a certain amount of damage and like a combo, the game will transition back to the arena fighter mode. And you have like this free roam thing. So it's actually really sick. That sounds really cool and unique. Yeah, yeah. It's fucking sick. Like Pokemon Tournament is a sick fucking game. Interesting. Yeah, that's that sounds really unique. I never played it. I heard is Mewtwo in that game? Yeah, Mewtwo and then the boss. Because, you know, fighting games got to have a boss, like some OD boss. So the boss is uh, 
is Dark Me Too. Yeah. And Dark Me Too looks fucking fire. I heard that he's got like a broken in that game too. You gotta Google it. Go Google it right now. Right. Dark Me Too. He's got like a he's got like this orange crystal coming out of his shoulder. He looks fucking sick. If you are listening and don't know what Dark Mewtwo looks like, pull out your phone. Oh and shit! Look is it up Shadow Dark Mewtwo? Mewtwo. It might be called Shadow Mewtwo. Yo, but it's, his tail. You type is in, that like, his fucking tail that with that orange on the end. Yeah, Dark Mewtwo and Pokémon Tournament. Um, he came he, up with Shadow Mewtwo. So type in Shadow Mewtwo. Yeah, yeah. So he looks cool he as hell. Is insane. Like he looks so sick. Yeah, no, he actually does look really cool. You're saying he's actually broken. Oh, he's broken as fuck. And yeah, he's got like that orange crystal coming out of his shoulder. Yeah, yeah. He's he's dope as hell. Oh, wait. Maybe I'm looking at too, because I see the Shadow Mewtwo as well. Let's see. Shadow Mewtwo has this orange tail. But then I see this, I guess, Dark Mewtwo or whatever the hell he's called. I don't know. If you type in Dark or Shadow and go to images, he comes right up and he does look... He, he looks he like, wild. Yeah, he like transforms. Like, so you might be seeing both. He has like his form, and then he like okay. bul- he like bulks up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm seeing I'm seeing both, and that's why I got a little confused on which one I was looking at. But I think they're both just shadow shadow Mewtwo, quote unquote. And yeah, yeah. The one that's like bulked up, he looks nuts. It looks like if he <laughs> mega evolved, this is what it would look like, and not the ones that we actually got because he does have mega evolutions, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're like they're like little Majin Buu looking dudes. But this so uh, this looks scary. But yeah, that game Pokemon tournament's really fun. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I mean Machamp. That okay. was that's my boy Machamp and Charizard because I gotta show love to Charizard. But I I mostly use Machamp, and I remember uh, who did Medina use? Because I, I only ever played it with uh, Medina. Yeah, I can't remember who. I think he used Gardevoir. I think he used some cheap ass lame character. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's funny, Gardevoir. All right, so the, to finish off this listener letter, this will put an end to the book, but also we enjoyed actually being able to piece it. Yeah, it was a great, great letter. Yeah, this letter lasted for like three or four episodes. So uh, the last thing on here is DBZ versus the MCU, so Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan writes in, Thanos kind of dresses like a destroyer, so let's assume that he is the MCU's destroyer. Supreme Kai would, of course, be Stan Lee. Let's take another step and say, since Stanley is in every Marvel film, regardless of which studio releases the film, his role as Supreme Kai binds all film adaptations of Marvel together as one universe. So let us assume that Universe 9 was chosen to be destroyed by Grand Zeno prior to the tournament, uh, instead of one of the universes 13 to 18, while also making the assumption that the MCU was originally one of those previously destroyed six universes. This is a reasonable adjustment to the impact of removing any one universe from the tournament, considering how quickly all 10 fighters of Universe 9 were eliminated. Not of the first 12 eliminations. So let's consider the MCU Universe 18. Grand Zeno calls for the Tournament of Power at Goku's request. Universes 2, 3, 4, 6, 7, 10, 11, and 18 have been asked to pick their 10 strongest fighters to compete for their universe's survival in a battle royale called the Tournament of Power. Let's also make the assumption that this happens prior to Thanos snapping his fingers with all the Infinity Stones. For the best placement of time, the invite from Grand Zeno would have been received prior to the events of Infinity War. Now here are the two questions. Who should the 10 fighters chosen by Thanos and Stan be in order to give Universe 18, the MCU, the best chance to survive? And of course, how would these 10 fighters do in a tournament? How does it impact the tournament overall, if any at all? So I'm just going to start by saying uh, Kenny and I are big proponents of not having DBZ characters go up against characters who are not from that universe. Uh, It tends to end in curb stomps all around. I do not think that there are many MCU characters that have been shown in the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far. I know in the comics they have some reality warping individuals who are broken as fuck and could obviously be many DBZ characters. But if you're talking about the ones that we've seen, you said prior to Infinity War, 
You're talking about a lot of humans with like amps. I think, yeah, I think that, uh, like, no, so th- this, this, this question poses that we're only talking about Marvel Cinematic Universe. So all the Marvel comic book heads, relax. Yeah, relax. They're, if we're just talking about Marvel characters from the movies, like, I don't, they can, they can have 50 fighters. Like, they're not, yeah, I don't like think they, they, yeah, 10 doesn't, I, like, the, you, cause you're gonna, here's, here's who you're gonna choose Thanos, I'm not Thanos, the, the Hulk. Uh, Thor, uh, Captain America, probably like Spider Man, Iron Man, Iron Man, of course. Like Iron Man, even with the nano suit, like they're broken. Like the Hulk is broken. But remember, this isn't Super World Breaker Hulk. This is just MCU Hulk, who's like, yeah, really strong, but, but also he got like beat you know by Thanos, just raw strength beat up. And I'm a certain that the same exact thing would happen if he fought, you know, many of the people in the tournament of power. Like, like Jiren, they're not just fucking, like, Jiren is just not okay. Yeah, <laughs> and they got a fucking assassin who can stop time, basically, and kill, it's just like, I don't really think it's much of a fair discussion. Uh, I, t- like, again, Kenny and I typically do not do DBZ versus other fantasy genres because it doesn't end well, and then, in order to make it even remotely, like, a competition, you have to start adding reality-warping individuals, which is never fun to me. Yeah, yeah, I like when fights are fun. So, like, for example, like, I think in terms of a fight, Goku is one of the most unfair characters and that it can beat you in a fight. Yes. But then when, when you bring in characters like, well, they can snap their fingers and Goku doesn't exist. It's like, all right, well, sure, that guy wins, but, like, they're not fighting. He yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> like, he made Goku into a flower. Like, sure, Dr. Manhattan could for sure solo, like, all the Z fighters by turning them molecularly into back to monkeys. Um, but... That's not really a fight. It's just kind of like, well, you have this ability that is, it doesn't actually like matter what I do. You just kind of win. And prior to Infinity War, not many of the Avengers or people in MCU are on that kind of level to physically be able to beat the Z fighter. So I think even because obviously the best, their best champion is would be Thanos himself. If we, if I, I'm not sure if the question poses that Thanos is or isn't allowed to fight, but let's just say that he is. Thanos is by far their best shot, but even he, speaking strictly as movie Thanos, I don't think really stands a chance. Movie Thanos is fucking OD, but, you know, I just, I don't think he wants it with Jiren. Like, Jiren's just stupid. Um, Yeah, so, I I agree. I do not think that uh, Thanos wants it with Jiren. I don't think pretty much anyone from MCU wants it with Jiren, if I'm being completely honest. Like, specifically the MCU. Not uh, even just Jaren, like I think Piccolo. Jaren stared at a spirit bomb, and that shit went back to Goku. Yes, he stared at it, like he fucking stared at it. Okay, so I yep. don't really know what you want from him. I'm obviously I'm not talking to you, Dan, as in like you know you did anything wrong. I'm just saying I don't know what anyone would want from these people in the MCU. Who again, most of them are humans with amps or like some other species from another planet that just has reasonable individuals, like Rocket Raccoon. Yeah, yeah. It's just a he's just a raccoon. <laughs> With with gun with, with artillery with like, guns yeah yeah he's just a raccoon with guns like, right like I don't care what you like the Winter Soldier ain't got like he ain't got shit like yeah. the Winter Soldier yeah like ain't doing Shield is not really doing much so I don't I don't really subscribe to uh, DBZ versus pretty much anything but I do like doing you know other more reasonable things I don't know like MCU maybe versus like Naruto characters or something I don't know something but not DBZ DBZ characters can destroy planets way too easily and for that, for that reason, I just don't like including them. I know people, they hate when you bring up the whole, like, their planetary level, but they really are. There's evidence of it. Um, so, 
there, there you go. And, and we're talking about Zeno, and he fucking can wipe out entire universes, so he's a reality-warping individual, technically, like... He, he wipes just... out universes, and he's one of those, like, unfair characters where, like, it's not like he did an attack. Yes. He just, like, said the universe didn't exist anymore, and, and it, it just, stopped existing. It just stops existing completely. And that's just his ability. And he could bring them back, too, right? Yeah, he could do whatever he... Like, he is, for all intents and purposes, the most literal interpretation of an all-powerful god. Yeah. Like, he just does whatever he wants. It's like... Yeah, because at the end it's kind of a stupid power... character, but... Yeah, he's he's DBZ's or D, D Dragon Ball's uh, version of something that's just reality warping. Uh, but what's funny is you know Dragon Ball does it in a way where they make him silly because he's like he's so absurdly broken, but he's like a baby and yes. he's just like some stupid thing. It, but it makes him terrifying. <laughs> that it does make him terrifying. It always makes me on edge when anyone does anything that might uh, he might disapprove of because the, yeah. it could just be the end of that person or that entire universe or that planet or whatever. And it's so. It just puts you on edge. And he doesn't do it out of malice either. He's like, okay, well, you know. And then, like, he just wipes it out. And he's like, oh, that was cool. <laughs> yeah. like, all right. <laughs> sure. It's so bad. All right. Uh, and then we have a listener letter from Vincent Zen. Vincent writes into the I'm There podcast regarding our Demon Slayer Season 2 podcast. Mm. So Vincent says, I just wanted to note that from posts I've seen, the budget for a lot, if not all, of the Demon Slayer episodes is around $80,000. So that's insane. I never knew this. I never knew before you said this, Vincent, I never knew what the budget for anime episodes was in 2022 or around this time, like the 2020s. Uh, but he says it's around 80,000. Then he says, personally, this past season has been the best animated single season, 12 episodes I've seen of any anime. I agree. Uh, to compare to other popular anime, One Punch Man had a budget of 70 to 80k per episode, One Piece 90k per episode, Naruto Shippuden 90 to 100k per episode, My Hero Academia 110k per episode and Jujutsu Kaisen 150k. To add to all the great moments you guys listed from this season, I thought it was incredibly grotesque and shocking when Inosuke took his serrated swords, putting each on the sides of Daki's head and swinging back and forth until her head was cut off. The only other time I was that shocked something so vicious was animated was when Eren. Okay, I just want to make sure this wasn't a spoiler for shit you haven't seen. Was when Eren had taken a jaw titan and used him to crush his way through to the Warhammer titan, if I remember yeah. correctly. So yeah, before yeah, yeah. I was, was... Yeah, go ahead. That was season four, part one. Yes. So before I go any further in this listener, I want to stop and talk about the two things that you've already spoken on, because I noticed that each paragraph is kind of a different thought. So first paragraph is just the budget for episodes. And Jujutsu Kaisen being 150k per episode, I'm not really surprised about that, actually, because the animation for that anime is also insanely high. It looks really good. Yeah, it's... I've, you know, I said this, but it is, although not one of my favorite anime, I yeah. don't, you know, I don't not think it's yet. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I do like it. It's good. It's not one of my favorites. However, it has one of my favorite fights in any anime I've seen. And that's, um, uh, main character. I forget his name. Itadori. But main, Itadori and, um, Toto versus yep. the plant monster. Yes. That fight is one of my favorite fights just ever. I love that fight. Yeah, it's quite amazing. Uh, and they have a lot of them, too. The fight with uh, Nanami, the accountant who has the glasses, and when he's fighting with Itadori against the one curse, the human curse. Yep, yep, the, the one that reminds me of uh, Shigaraki. Yep, and I think he's blatantly just he, hands and all that. He's We said he is just like Shigaraki, but that fight is crazy as hell to me, too. Also, that fucking human curse killed somebody that we what was in the opening, and people thought that he was going to eventually be a uh, sorcerer. He just gets fucking killed. 
<laughs> so, he does just get offed. Yeah, so like, there's a lot of good animation in Jujutsu Kaisen. The voice acting is also pretty good. And Jujutsu Kaisen has this weird type of animation. I don't even know what you call it, but sometimes when they show people using the, uh, the sorcerer energy, whatever they call it, curse energy, that's what it is. When they show people using curse energy, the way they draw it is kind of cool. It looks almost like it's sketched. But then color. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, yeah. It's there were scenes where you would see Itadori uh, molding the blue energy to do his punches, and then how his punches have that aftershock effect to them, and they would show it, and it would look like it was sketched straight from a manga panel, but then it would be colored in and obviously animated, so it looks good, you know, for somebody watching it. But that art style, I think, is really cool too. I know people hate on CG, and there's not much CG being used in Jujutsu, in Jujutsu Kaisen, so I'm not surprised it has a budget of 150. Um, if yeah. Well, I am surprised if this is. I mean, I guess it. I haven't seen Wano, but you said something like One Piece is around ninety he or hundred k. He said One Piece ninety k. Now I, the, and, I am their podcast. We have not verified or validated any of these numbers that Vincent yeah. is giving us. Listen, other. I have We're not verified the, for it. I will say that Wano, from what I've seen, I haven't watched Wano yet, but it looks a lot better than some previous arcs, and I love One Piece, as you know. I mainly read the manga. One Piece has some amazing anime arcs, but after the time skip, a lot of the anime, I think animation quality is worse than before the time skip. Mm-hmm. Wano looks a lot better. Anyway, I guess I'm just, I can't, I don't know. That's a big budget. And I just think that's a big budget. And I don't think One Piece looks good enough episode per episode for the budget to be that high. Like, that's crazy. Yeah, I'm actually, I just Googled it while, we're, while you were speaking just to see. And it does look like every uh, website, every result on Google points to One Piece having a budget of $90,000 per episode. Yeah, I'm. here's my guess. I could be wrong. Because Wano does look a lot better. I'm going to guess they got a bigger budget. Because I don't <laughs> think they're... I just can't imagine the budget was that high pre-Wano. I think that's a Wano budget. I, I, I agree with you on that 100%. I, I do think that it is a uh, at least 2020 and up budget i've watched some awano from that website called one pace so for people who want to get into one piece i recommend i recommend that you use one pace because what they do is they provide downloads of episodes that they have edited themselves to cut down all of the filler and all of the bulk in one piece episodes and kind of put them together so for example let's say uh episodes one two and three of one piece uh could be just put into one episode if you cut out all the moments where they're just kind of not anything going on or they're just kind of characters just staring off into space or, you know, nothing, something that's yeah, filler is not in the manga. They just kind of cut out the bulk and the filler and make it shorter. That way you can kind of get right to the point. I'm not saying they cut out anything important. I don't want that to be misconstrued, but they do. Yeah, it's just filler. It's like, it's essentially one piece Kai. Anybody yeah. that knows Dragon Ball Kai, Dragon Ball Kai was a re-edit of the Dragon Ball Z anime. Cause Dragon Ball Z anime had a lot of filler and padding. Yeah. And Kai just cuts the filler and padding out to make it more manga accurate. Yes. So that being said, uh, I recommend One Piece to anyone who does want to get into One Piece. It's a great resource. It's the way I've been watching Wano. But yes, to Kenny's point, the Wano season does actually look fucking good. I've been yeah. I've been reading. I've read it. I read a bunch of it at first, and then I switched off to watching because I wanted to see Kaido and how they animated Kaido and you know in the anime. And it's done really fucking well. So it just looks like I won't say it's up to the standard of Demon Slayer and Jujutsu Kaisen and shit like that. Cause those animes, I feel like they just go so much harder than everyone else. But it's it's definitely a 2022 anime 
when I look at One Piece now, like, it, it it fits right in. It doesn't look like holy yeah. shit. One Piece looks trash because One Piece has had some bad, uh, very it's, it's cartoonish anim, uh, animation. It's definitely upgraded over the years. I also just want to say, as a side note, I won't say anything else about it. But this week's One Piece chapter, holy balls! Oh, I'm just God. letting you all know this week's one. Don't say any. Fraser's not just. Yeah. I don't know. If you if you I know you know. I am not. If you know, you know. We won't talk about it yet. But if you know, you know. This week's One Piece chapter was out. Just if you know, you know. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, I am not. I am not caught up. But I will eventually catch up. I've been trying to do the One Piece thing, but here's the only issue with that: Uh, they are kind of behind on uh, being. I guess first of all, the anime is behind, right? Because it just has to be. So the manga's further. And then even in the Wano arc that's being animated, uh, One Piece is kind of behind in getting out the episodes that, you know, because they're not even up to episode 1,000 yet. And I'm pretty sure that happened a while ago now. Like, episode 1,000 came out months ago, I feel like. So, yeah, I think when Wano finishes, One Piece will probably more quickly wrap up. It's, yeah. I think what they're mainly doing is they're letting episodes come out so that they don't accidentally... So, so that they know what content they have to edit. Yeah, it, that makes um, sense to me anyway. Uh but as somebody who's like, I like the binge, everything I do, like everything I watch these days, I do like the binge for the most part. And yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, after Googling just one piece just to see, it sounds like Vincent knows what the fuck he's talking about with these numbers. And that's just wild. Like some of these, some of these anime budget numbers, I just never, I never knew it took 90K to make an episode of anime. That's insane to me. If I had to guess, like if I just had to guess, I would guess around 40 to 50K. Like prior to today, if I had to guess, I'd be like, and even that's a ton, but like when when I think about everything that goes into it, yeah, like you know what the other thing episode. is, the really reputable animes probably have, well, not probably, they just have the voice actors that are known and probably demand a higher salary, right? Yeah. So yeah. if you factored that into the budget, right, like how much does the voice actor who plays Naruto, like mm-hmm. after he's been Naruto for fifteen years, right? Like at that point. You know, I'm, I I want like my contract goes. I want it to go up every three years or something. I renegotiate after a point. Yeah. Like Game of Thrones. Like I know at the end, Cersei, Tyrion, uh, Daenerys, Jon Snow. They were making over a million dollars an episode each. Yeah, which I mean makes sense. Right? Season one, they were not. No. But, but as the as the show went on, and you know they now these faces have been attached to these iconic characters, the biggest show on HBO ever. Uh, these faces have become attached to these characters. You don't want to change out the actors because you had a dispute about the money. So as long as they're yeah. not being unreasonable with their demands, you're probably going to give them what they want. And so, yeah, salaries go up. So I would imagine whoever plays Naruto, whoever plays Itadori, you know, as the show goes on longer and longer, whoever plays Luffy's voice, uh, they're probably oh, getting paid top. I think dollar. her name's Mayumi Takuma or Takumi. It's like Mayumi Takumi, something yeah. like that. She is, I fucking love her. She's 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 also the voice actor for Curlin so crazy crazy that a woman and i'm only saying that because like luffy is a man ash ash ketchup is a man but these are voiced by or were voiced by women uh and i just think that's so fucking cool that they have the talent to do that because when i when i hear luffy's voice i never think that is a woman's voice yeah yeah she's a very talented voice actor yes like at no point have i ever thought before kenny told me that at no point did i ever think that is the voice of a woman so there you go uh, all right, and then his second thought was about uh, in Demon Slayer how the, the brutality of Inosuke severing Daki's head by using both his swords, the serrated blades, and just kind of 
sawing at her head until it came off. That shit was wild when they showed that. I was, I was like, God damn. And then he got it and ran with it, which that episode, I was, I was rooting that for That was so day. funny. It was. Wasn't it funny when he was running with it like a football? He, I was like, my man is out. And then there was the part where she tried to fight back with her hair technique, and then he just sliced that shit off and was like, you're not very powerful without your head attached. Yeah, yeah. I thought they yeah, had in ter- something. In terms of most grotesque, though, for me, it's got to go to fucking my man taking a, a blade to the chin. When when he Yo. when Tandro got the blade to the Yo. chin, it didn't stop. I was, I was like, oh my god, that shit god. went right in too. Yeah, that was that was that was the part that made me like wince. I was like, oh, <laughs> like I winced when I saw. When that. I watched that episode, I think Gary and I both were like, oh shit, yeah, because it went right in, like right up into his chin, from his chin up into his mouth. I was like, oh my god, could you imagine? No, I couldn't imagine even trying to move after something like that. So that was wild. Uh, and then yes, Eren with the Jaw Titan against the uh, Warhammer Titan crystallized. The thing for me that does it, if you go back to our Attack on Titan episode, the reason why that part was so insane to me is because of how long they made it last in the anime. Mm-hmm. They just they stayed on that scene, and you just see Eren kind of holding a crystal up above his head, and he's he's just like crushing the Jaw's head, and and at the same time. Galliar is begging Eren not to do this. Like he's yeah, saying, yeah, please yeah. don't make me do this. I don't want to do this. Please stop. Like he's begging. Before this even happened, Eren ripped off all of his limbs too. So all he has is a head. He has no arms and no legs. So like Eren pulled his limbs off one by one and then like ripped him by the head so that he's only could be used as a fucking can opener. It was nuts. That entire, that's, and then you see the blood raining down in Aaron's own mouth as he drinks the spinal fluid and the blood of this woman who was in human form when she got killed. It was wild. That entire sequencing was wild. She's just watching it happen too. You want to talk about grotesque? That was some grotesque shit right there. It really Drinking was. your that enemy's blood. Is, <laughs> drinking your enemy's blood is, is crazy. So yeah, that, that, uh, <laughs> that that gets it for me. Anyways, to continue the listener letter, he says, I also agree with you guys that mystery and lore is what generally draws audiences to keep watching. Setting up incredibly tough situations and finding out how the main cast gets through them is what makes a lot of anime good. To add to the list of anime you guys mentioned, The Promise Neverland, uh, I think he's saying season one, which I think, yeah. The Promise Neverland season one, The Rising of the Shield Hero, Sword Art Online season one, etc., fulfill that category so i agree i've seen sword art online season one which i actually enjoyed that season of it that's before it became bad i saw promise neverland season one which is amazing i think it's actually an s-tier anime and if you just forget that season two ever happens you have a really good anime to watch uh (laughs) and i've never seen the rising of the shield hero but my best friend and a couple other people told me that that is actually genuinely a good anime like it's just good so i will probably get around to that too i've heard similar things i had a really close friend that was uh, reviewing it at the time. I just, it's just one of those things where you're watching and doing other things. I never got a chance to watch it. Yeah. So I haven't seen Shield Hero, but uh, I often forget I agree. about it too. I don't know why. Something about the name of it is not memorable to me. Like when I think about, oh, I want to watch an anime and I want to start something new, it never occurs to me that that's one of them. It never pops up. It yeah. never pops in my head. Like I remember Jobless Reincarnation slash Mushoku Tensei. I remember Ataxi and I remembered, uh, there's another anime. Oh, Chainsaw Man is coming out apparently this year or something like that. I remember those ones because the names of them. But for some reason, The Rising of the Shield Hero, it never stays with me. Doesn't stick. What's it called? What was the other one? Oh, Sword Art Online. I agree so much, man. Like, season one, and I, I always have to say part one of season one. Yes. 
I think Sword Art Online is really fucking good. Like yeah. it's really interesting. There is mystery. You're you're intrigued. But once they solve the first part of Sword Art Online and they end up going to like Elfheim online, I think it starts to get really bad. <laughs> yeah. Like it gets awful. It I, yeah. I think the part of Sword Art Online that I really liked was I try to put myself, as I often do, in the situation of the main character. What would it be like if I got sucked into an actual MMORPG and I was a character and I had a level, I had uh, stats and all that stuff? How cool that would be, but also how scary that would be because they said yeah, they yeah. that if you die, you die in the real world and all that. That I don't like that part of it, but I would like the idea of literally having my consciousness transferred into an MMO as long as it's like, you know safe and i'm not gonna die and i'm not gonna suffer any physical ailments or anything like that that seems cool as shit to me and that yeah. prospect of it when it first started you see him in the bed and he's connected and all that and they try to log out and then the menu's like you can't log out uh that prospect of it was cool but then it loses its luster so quick and yeah but yeah. like yeah when when <clears throat> the first half of season one there are so many interesting things they did where for example after they've been in it for so long they, they fought all these, like, battles, and they've climbed up to, like, the 80th floor. It was really cool where when... I, I don't remember how long it was, maybe two episodes, but when him and Asuna kind of, like, settled down, yeah. and they found, like, a little house on, like, the 40th floor. It was, like, this nice little house. And they settled and, like, lived together for a little bit, and then you see how there's people... They've been in this game for, you know, a year, two years now. Eventually, you just have to live your life. And so there's some people who aren't going out to challenge the super hard bosses, and they're just living their life like they found a house and they just kind of live out in this mmo world this fantasy world and that's really and then there's the drama and mystery of other things where the one thing when kirito was traveling with like that one party and they go into a cave and like the whole party gets slaughtered and he like yeah. watches them all die like all of that was interesting and then and then i don't know we we don't got to talk about where it goes yeah it just goes to a place that uh <laughs> i'm not really a fan of and i remember watching season two where it's like Gungrave, I think was the name of it. And he had a sword in a game where everyone else had a gun. <laughs> it was like, and he was also a woman for some reason. I was like, okay, like this is, a, this has an interesting prospect. He has a lightsaber. I'm a big, you know, I'm a big fan of that. Um, but even that season, it just kind of dragged. I remember losing interest in it halfway through. And then I said, you know what? I'm done with this anime. Like I just, I just kind of quit the anime in general. I said, I'm not watching any more Sword Art Online. I'm good with this. Like I'm just completely yeah, yeah. good on, I'm good on this. And I just haven't gone back to it. So I don't know what it's doing these days. I don't know how the kids feel about it. But uh, but yeah, as far as mystery... The opening is still fire, though. Oh, yeah. But as far as like what Vincent's saying on the mystery and how that is what keeps people you know, watching and engaged, and that's what makes these things good. Yeah, I agree. Because when we thought the Night King was a real character and Game of Thrones or was going to have some amazing backstory and some amazing lore to him, it, that made him seem cool. That made Game of Thrones better. And then come to find out, it's just like, nope, the Night King is just... I mean, a guy, Dude, who, that's, a guy who got put up against a tree and stabbed in the heart and became the Night King, and that's all we got. Like, we got nothing else. It was oof. And he never spoke. Oof. A big oof. So He also died in one little, night. little yeah. dagger stab. Yeah. yeah, no pun intended, but he died in one night, so. <laughs> I just think it went out so bad, but we don't have to harp. Uh, all right, so then to finish out this listener letter, Vincent says, that being said, I find My Hero Academia to be very unbearable. Story-wise, it doesn't have too much going for it. My Hero Academia doesn't have that underlying mystery that looms as a threat. We only see kids train, have some kind of hype arc, only for them to go back to school. Don't get me wrong, there are a handful of touching and incredible moments, but the in-between of it all is very lackluster. The last thing I'll say in regards to My Hero is, 
I can't stand subbed Bakugo whatsoever. Probably wouldn't be able to stand him as dub too, but his overall story and character development is good. But he does have, but does he have to have ear piercingly scream every time he's on screen? Uh, does he have to be one of the most obnoxious main characters ever? He literally makes any episode he shows up on screen unwatchable. It just ruins whatever little enjoyment I had of the episode as it was. Mic drop. So, uh, needless to say, I totally disagree um, about My Hero. I do think that My Hero actually does have the the lore and the mystery to it that make it interesting because to this day, so I'm current in the manga, we still don't know all the secrets of One for All and, and All for One. Um, that mystery is huge. And spoiler alert for people who are not caught up on the manga of My Hero uh, or like close to being caught up. I just want to talk about this one little thing, but there are other people who were predecessors of uh, Deku and Deku was unlocking their quirks one by one. So already he has like danger sense, which is a spidey sense, which is insane. He has the whip thing that he got first, which is like Spider-Man, but on crack because it's just an energy whip and it's huge. And he got the ability to fly because his master could fly. And there's like two other people and there's a couple more quirks that he's going to get. That that alone for me is like keeping me anxious about the future of the show. Like, I really want to know what's going on. But also, there was this little arc, and they just showed it in the current anime this season. I just got to it because I'm currently watching the current season. They just showed the part about uh, how it started, like how All for One and, and One for All started, whereas the younger brother didn't have a quirk, or so the older brother thought. And he forced a quirk on his younger brother, which happened to be One for All. But his younger brother ended up having a quirk, and the quirk was to transfer his quirk. That was his quirk. His quirk is just to be able to transfer power from one thing to another. So anyway, uh, that little backstory about the two brothers and how like the older brother wanted to change the world and take quirks from people who didn't want them and give them to people who he felt like could better use them. Obviously, he's doing it for his own shady reasons because he has people in his pocket when he does that. Like, I give you powers. You want power. I take your power away because you don't want to be a bird your whole life. Um, stuff like that. That's interesting to me. Also. And we, we're going to we're we're coming up very close on doing our My Hero Academia episode. I think in April, for sure, we'll probably have it done because I'm already watching the current season. Kenny's going to do the same, but we're going to do a full episode on My Hero. Uh, we both really, really like it. And I think that the latest manga arcs, like the last two or three, have been some of the absolute best manga I've ever seen. Like it's it's so, so good. Now, I don't know how like the way you feel about the anime, like that's fine. Uh Bakugo is very, very annoying for sure in the anime because he does have to yell a lot and that's just kind of his trope. And all of the characters, though, in My Hero are super hardcore tropes of like wh whatever their personality trait is, you kind of just see it constantly. So I always think of Bonetta, the guy with the grapes all over his head. He's a pervert. And pretty much every time you see him speak or hear him say anything, it's always going to be perverted. That's just kind of like how My Hero works. And I'm okay, for whatever, like, I'm okay with it. Like, I'm just kind of okay with the characters being exactly who they are always. Bakugo is a hothead. He also thinks he's so fucking cool. But, like, I've gained so much respect for Bakugo, and I think Kenny has too, that it's just one of those things where I don't, I'm not mad at him. I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm just not mad at Bakugo. <laughs> I'm just not mad at him. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, there's a lot. I'll, I'll save a lot of it for when we just do the actual My Hero episode, but I think that, um, there are some things to delve into that I'll save. One one of the big things for My Hero, though, that I think draws me to it is sort of the inspiration of the show. What the show tries to inspire, like it, 
it creates that feel good feeling when it you does. when you watch when you watch it and you see it like it it tries to put you in like a deep it does the superhero thing where it creates these dark deep situations and then it creates it has a character that you know tries to be this beacon of light and pull people out of the depths and it's like that whole thing the the all might looks always saving people with a smile like even really early on during one of the training exams Deku's running around saving people and he gets he loses points because the one guy says like like you like you look worried like you're a hero yeah you're not supposed to, like and it, it's like a realization like Deku's like you know he can't look worried all this other stuff so that inspiration the feeling of my hero is one of the big things I really like about it and then mm-hmm. also Bakugo has like a whole really big interesting character arc um yeah, I'm gonna save that yeah you know what yeah I'm not even gonna get into that either because I was gonna say. I was going to expand on the Bakugo thing because you just reminded me of how he started off in the anime mm. and that big reveal about him being a big fan of All Might came out of nowhere and I love that. I love how and it made sense though once you realize why he hated Deco so much. So we will we will talk about this in our My Hero episode. So let's just table that discussion for another time. Uh, but I do like My Hero a lot. It's actually one of my favorite anime. Like it's probably in my top I don't know fifteen or something ever. Like I re- I really think it's well done and. Japan's take on heroes. I prefer the Japanese take on heroes over the American take, which is like the MCU and the DC and all that stuff. I don't, I'm gonna be honest. Like I've never really been too big of a fan of the Marvel heroes and the DC heroes or whatever. Like they're okay, but I'm more of an anime slash manga guy anyway. So it gets way more real. The anime adaptation or anime versions of heroes. I don't know. I just like that much better. All right. So we can, transition off of that so that's our listener letters guys if you want us to read your letters and discuss them like we just did on the show you can write into i am their podcast at gmail.com and we may read it a lot on the show as long as it's something that's you know somewhat nerd related uh you know we'll give it a sh- we'll give it a shot and read it uh let's see so other topics we have for today uh one of the things i want to talk about was uh cloud gaming this seems to be a popular reoccurring thing from one of our patrons uh michael and he's really big on the idea of how in today's day and age where we're adults and we have less time less free time anyway to do the things we want to do uh it's harder to just commit to buying a ps5 and then buying a game just for just for that game like if you wanted to play let's say a ps5 exclusive and you had to buy ps5 for it it's kind of hard for the average person to just do that for one game and i agree like i have a switch i don't have a ps5 yet because to me there's just not really much i would play on it and if i wanted to play elden ring i would just probably play it on my pc but there's not there's not much of a way to deal with the whole exclusive content thing right now and that has always sucked i literally have bought many nintendo consoles because of monster hunter like the reason why i even have that special uh 3ds the monster hunter 4u 3ds is because monster hunter came out and it sold me a 3DS. I never owned a 3DS before that. I never even wanted to own a 3DS before that Monster Hunter game. And I didn't really play anything else on my 3DS besides Monster Hunter. I don't think I did play really anything else on my 3DS besides Monster Hunter. But that game literally sold an entire console to me. And if there was a way where like, you know, this is really far thinking. But if there was a way where I could just sign up for some service online, right? I could just sign up for like a Nintendo service on my computer. And it would just give me access to Nintendo's library of games. And I just pay every month as long as I want to. 
And I was gonna, and you can choose tiers, and it's like, okay, if you want to access to these types of games, you will pay, you know, forty dollars a month. If you want access to these ones, you only pay twenty dollars a month, and then you have like a five dollar tier, or whatever, however they want to do it, however they come up with the business model. Um, that would be really fucking cool to me. And you could just play the games. You could still buy Nintendo controllers that connect to PCs. Uh, and they would all be on the cloud. Same thing with Microsoft. But Microsoft is already kind of doing that, though. And yeah. Sony, I think, is probably doing something very similar as well. They're, they're coming out with their own version of Game Pass. So it's going in that, like, cloud gaming is becoming a thing, but it does have its shortcomings. For example, I just found out uh, from Kenny that Kingdom Hearts 3 is not actually on the Nintendo Switch in the sense that you can just, you know, play that game like on the go. Like I can't just play Kingdom Hearts 3 on an airplane or no. Like I can't just like it, it's it's a it's a cloud version of the game, right? So um you need certain things in place to be able to play it. You need a really strong internet connection, I imagine. And that, you know, that is a limitation of cloud gaming in general. Like the things that you need to even be able to play the game on a cloud. Whereas like I can just play like if I don't have internet, I can just load up God of War on my PS4, PS5 or whatever now and just play it because I own the game and I don't have to worry about the internet being down and that causes, or like if they get hacked, right? Because you know that should always happen. Yeah, I don't have to worry about that. Like I can just turn on. My, I own God of War. It's downloaded on my PlayStation, and I can just play it at any point. And I don't have to worry about whatever's going on with Verizon FiOS that day, or uh, what's going on. What's going on with Sony's uh, servers that day? So, what do you? What do you? Yeah, think? I. It's it's interesting. I have a lot of cross opinions on this. I I think the idea of cloud gaming is really cool. Um, but I, I'm mixed on it. So if, I'll use Kingdom Hearts as the most recent example. Kingdom Hearts is is on the Nintendo Switch, one, two, three, but they're cloud versions, which means that in order to play it, you have to connect to the internet, and you're literally streaming Kingdom Hearts the game to your Nintendo Switch and playing it that way, streaming it as if you were watching Netflix. Right. Is that really cool? Yes, like that's amazing. However, I can't. At least not any time in the near future. I can't see this becoming the norm because um, I think it has a myriad of issues. Uh, for one, let's look at Netflix. What's your favorite show that was on Netflix? Like, for example, I used to watch shitty, you know, shitty sitcom called Psych. I love it. It's an amazing sitcom. It's called Psych. It was on Netflix. And then it wasn't. And <laughs> I wanted to watch Psych and it wasn't there anymore. Or... If you wanted to watch House MD, you know, Dr. House, that's a great fucking like drama show, whatever. That show is really entertaining. I used to put that show on to go to sleep. Like I would put it on, it's entertaining. I would like watch an episode, then go to sleep on the next episode. And then by the third episode, my TV would turn off sleep timer and whatever. But then Netflix loses access to it. So a problem with a cloud gaming service would be let's say I'm playing this cloud gaming service. I'm fucking, I love Ocarina of Time and I'm playing Zelda. And then one day I log on and Zelda's not there anymore. And now I just, I, you can't play Zelda anymore. And so yeah, that does suck. And that can happen. Even though if I think about uh, Nintendo's, cause they have so many unique things that only Nintendo has and they'll never be on any of our console. Um, the Nintendo service, I would, I would hope that yeah, that yeah. would not be the case, but that there's no guarantee in that. Like, there, there is nothing stopping Nintendo from pulling some of their, what do you call it? I, I don't want to say IPEs, but IP. IPs, yeah. IP, there's, intellectual yeah. property. Yeah, there's nothing stopping them from just pulling those at any given time for whatever reason. Or, let's say, because they, they would do a tier model, I think. They would have to. Uh, they'd be like, oh, well, this is now in this tier. 
and you're just yeah yeah you're fine. and the thing is like for for example um i the another thing if your internet's out or you know if sometimes you know the internet is just down for a day and maybe you're at home right and like just imagine how much it would suck and this happens you fucking new kingdom hearts game is coming out and it's going to be available on square streaming cloud on april 7th and then you take off from work on april 7th you go home and then Comcast is like, oh, we're having an outage today. It's like, oh, well, I guess. Or the it just gets crashed because everyone wants to play Kingdom Hearts at the same time. Yeah, like yeah. The, ser- the servers crash, which which will happen a lot. Uh, I yeah. imagine that that type of thing always happens with really big games. And- like something I do when my internet's out, right? And my internet goes out maybe once a month, just because like they have an internet outage. You know what I mean? Verizon yeah. or Comcast. Yeah. And the internet will go down for, like, a couple hours because, like, they'll be doing something. Dude, Discord goes out, like, twice or three times a month. Like, by, like just, yeah, right? we rely on Discord for many things, and that's just one thing that goes out, uh, you know, like, three times a month. Like, Discord went out last week, a couple days, just a couple days ago, actually. Discord was just down. Yep. So, one of the things I do when my internet's out, right, because like, I have so much of my stuff on my computer. So, when my internet's out, it's like, well, I guess I'll just play a game I haven't played in a while. And so yeah. I'll pull up my Switch and play a game. But I can only do that because I own those games, right? Cloud gaming would make it so that you can't do that. Now, things like Game Pass, I think, are incredible. I think Game Pass on Xbox is one of the greatest deals ever. It's the reason to buy. It's the reason to buy the new Xbox over the new PlayStation. I don't know. You know, eventually they'll get whatever they're get going. But Xbox already has it. They already kind of have the model perfected. Um, I don't consider that cloud gaming. It's similar, but you literally download the game yeah, um, so I you, imagine cloud gaming, you would not be able to download the game because then what the like I don't see how that would stop you from downloading it and then doing whatever you wanted with it and you'd have access to it forever once you download. Like if you gave me access to download the game, like technically I own it now. Like I downloaded it, it's on my it's on my computer. I like I can do what I want. I think that when people say cloud gaming, I have to assume that they mean literally you have to sign in, you have to have it, yeah, you have to sign in to something, you have to have an active internet connection, and you have to be able to run it through whatever servers the company yeah. that you're getting it from not and not press a download button and say like, Oh, just in case the internet does go out, I have this on my PC. Cause then like, then you just own it. Yeah. So I, I do think it's cool. And there's a lot of cool applications for it. Like I, I had fun playing the kingdom hearts demo on my switch, but like at least right now, I don't think it's all the way there. And there's not like a service to really solve it yet. Like I think Netflix kind of solved streaming and in a lot of ways solved piracy because I think piracy has gone down so much with things like Netflix and Hulu. I don't even Hulu. do it anymore. I mean, when I was a kid, I used to be, you know, statute of limitations probably up on that. But when I was very, very <laughs> young, I used to be a fucking pirate of the seas. And yeah, same, I same. Pay for Apple Music, and I have all the streaming services. And I don't pay for all the streaming services, but between me and my friends getting them however we get them, like. But I, you still pay for like you. Yes. Everybody's still paying for it. Like yes. Netflix, Hulu, Crunchyroll, yes. like all these services are being paid for. I don't go out looking. I don't, I don't pirate any, like, I don't pirate, like, I don't even pirate, I think music was, like, the most pirated thing. That was, I don't pirate music anymore. I I just just do it on Spotify or YouTube music. (laughs) I literally have not downloaded a single song. I, yo, someone asked me, have you heard Donda 2 yet? And I said no, and it's not. Yeah, because it's on, like, it's on Kanye's weird little thing. It's like a little thing. I don't have that, but I also, the option of, you know, like, oh, why don't you just download it from a, I was like, I don't, I don't download music. I don't torrent music. I don't give a fuck who it is. I don't, I don't torrent music anymore. I just don't. 
Like it's just all. not a thing. I'm over that. I don't want to hear it that much. If he wants to put it behind that stun player thing, then maybe one day I'll get around to buying it. But I heard it's like 200 bucks. I'm gonna pass for now. Um, and until it comes out on regular streaming services, I'll, I'm just gonna keep passing. I'm not paying for everyone's streaming service. I'm just not doing that. I yeah. hate, I hate this whole fragmented thing where literally cable was already getting over on everybody by charging you 200 dollars a month for fucking bullshit, and now you have 15 different streaming services that are all charging 10 to 20 dollars a month. And they want you to subscribe to each one of them, effectively getting the bill, your monthly bill, back up to that $200 mark. Like, I'm not doing it. I'm not playing that game. Uh, I'm not, I don't even watch TV that much anyway, if I'm being completely honest. I don't watch, like, TV. Yeah, I don't watch TV. Yeah, I don't watch TV. Like, there are shows that I like, and I watch those shows, and then I'm kind of done with TV for a while after that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just kind of how it is for me. So, when everyone's talking about Squid Game, you know, I have someone Netflix, I have someone's Netflix account. Uh, shout out to my friend Sarah, and then I just I watched the entire season of Squid Game, and then I I don't need Netflix anymore. Like I kind of don't. Yeah, I don't go back to it. But yeah, so so with all of that said, no one has solved the streaming service for video games yet, and maybe somebody will solve it, and it'll like click, and I'll be like, okay, this really makes sense. But even if it's solved, like for example, Netflix and all of the offshoots that happened after Netflix popularized it. It still causes tr- problems. For example, eventually you like things in the library go away. Like if if Grand Theft Auto Five is your favorite game and it's on the streaming service for cloud gaming, if one day they take Grand Theft Auto Five off, you, you now have you don't have access to Grand Theft Auto Five anymore, and yeah. now you can't play it. And it's like that's really fucking frustrating. Yeah, I mean this is the and this is the fear I guess with just all of streaming things and cloud based things in general. Like, uh. There was a while ago, probably a decade or so ago, where Jay-Z pulled all of his music. I think this is when... Yes, when he did Tidal, right? Yep. He, like, pulled all of his music off of Apple Music and Spotify and shit. And that, like, that fucked me up. I was... I did not like that. And I think... I think maybe a lot of Beyonce's music went away, too. And Mm -hmm. uh, some of Kanye's music went away. And, like, The Life of Pablo released on Tidal. Tidal. And it didn't release on everywhere, everywhere else for a while. I, eventually, these things came to all the other streaming services. But at first, they just were not on Apple Music and Spotify, which sucked dick. Like, that just sucked so much. That little game, the streaming wars, they called it. I didn't like that. And he was, Jay-Z was saying, I'm Jay-Z. Yeah. And he was like, if I put all my music here, this is how you're going to have to listen to it. Yeah. And granted, like, that does convince a lot of people to move and buy the service it just sucks because i was paying for a service with his music in it and then they just, it just got taken away yeah 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 like one day i woke up and i could no longer stream reasonable doubt and it was like well that fucking well, sucks yeah so. so there's there's you know ups and downs to it i'm uh there's something to be definitely interested owning, in it owning your but yeah game. that's the thing think about i think that that's the other thing with gaming is there's such a collector aspect to it and there's such a like owning it aspect to it I, you know, maybe this is just a personal thing. People from my time period, and I know you're around my age too. I think maybe not. I don't know. But um, there's that idea of like on a rainy day when there's nothing else to do, playing a video game, and so that's like one of the things I think about. If the internet's out, or if you're somewhere where there is an internet, or you know, whatever, whatever the case may be, yeah. There's there's something about pulling out your Game Boy or your Nintendo Switch or just whatever and playing your game that you own. And there's nothing really in between that can stop you. And no one can stop you. Yeah. But, you know, that said, there is merit 
to streaming and cloud gaming. Although I just at the moment I don't think it's solved, and people still need to do some more work on on solving. Now I will say this though, uh, they could start doing every every major gaming company, Nintendo, Sony, Microsoft, they could start doing streaming, cloud gaming, uh, subscription based gaming tomorrow. And they could offer that to people who want it. A lot of people will actually like the idea of paying like $30 a month to have access to a library of games. And oh, yeah. that's cool for people who want it. I, I don't, I like options. I, I'm a big person of options. The same way, for example, Kenny likes owning physical games. I have grown out of that. I don't even shouldn't, I shouldn't say I've grown out of it. My preference has changed. My preference has changed where I don't want to actually own a physical game anymore. So for example, when Monster Hunter World came out or when God of War 2018 came out on PS4, I downloaded those games. And I liked downloading them because one, you get them at midnight uh, on a night of release, which is really cool. You don't have to wait until GameStop or whatever. That's just like one little thing, uh, just release like the night of release. Uh, But also, I just don't like, I'm not really good with discs and uh, cases and organization and that type of stuff. With those things, like I'm just, I don't know, my brain just, I've, since I was a kid, I've never been good at organizing my games. I'm just messy with them. And it's easier for me to just have a system that just has all of them on it. And if I buy a new system, I can log into my account and download them. Like I got a PS4 Pro yeah. after like a couple of years of having my PS4. And I just signed into my account, started downloading Monster Hunter and Final Fantasy 15 because I, I purchased them. So it's kind of cool it's- that my ID has all my games in it. Go ahead. For me, it's uh, very specific. In general, I most of my games on my Nintendo Switch, for example, obviously all my games on PC are digital, right? It's yeah. Steam. But So I'll talk about Nintendo. Most of my games on my Nintendo are digital. Like Most of the games I have are digital. Okay. It's very specific. There's certain games where it's like, I have to have this physical out of respect for what that game is. So for example, Breath of the Wild, I have to have that physical okay. because it's Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Super Mario Odyssey, it's like, that's the new... Uh, like I have... This is Mario. I have to have that physical. I grew up with it. You know what I mean? I think it's also smart what you're doing because now that I'm thinking about it, I never thought about this until just this moment, but uh, collectibles go up so much in value. They do. They do. And having a physical copy of Super Mario Odyssey, if you keep keep that in good condition and everything, 20 years from now, that's just going to be worth money. Like, look at how much it costed. A Game Boy Color, the one that we had, the purple see-through one, like a, a, a good version of that, a clean nice version of that goes for thousands of dollars. I think something if now, obviously everybody's in different living conditions. If you can afford it, if you're not living month to month, if you can afford it and you have disposable income and you're a gamer, because there's a million things you can invest in. Let's say you're a gamer and it's something you like and you have disposable income. I'll buy both. I think every time you buy a game, you should buy a a copy that you just keep sealed and never unwrap. Yeah. I mean, just based on how collectibles go, (laughs) You can't even lose money. As long as you live for 10 to 20 years, you're going to make money. Yeah. Like, the next Zelda game that comes out, you buy a digital whatever, and then buy a, the $60 copy, and don't unwrap it. And just wait 10 years, 20 years. Like, yeah. you'll be... Like, the first iPhone goes for tens of thousands of dollars unopened. It's crazy. Just like oh. just for example, like, collectibles in general. So I'm not mad at anybody who's like, I want to own physical games. Uh, I just suck with physical games. I've literally lost physical games. Like I, yeah, yeah. I just don't know where they of are. Course. I might have left them at people's house. Kenny has given me a copy of Super Smash Bros. Melee, which is worth a lot. 
and I don't know where that fucking shit is at. Like, it's just, I'm bad. Dude, I had so many copies of Melee. <laughs> yeah. I have copies of Marvel's Capcom 2 back when the... Back I also think you have one of my GameCubes, like, in your dad's basement. I do. It, well, <laughs> I, it's probably gone now because his basement has for sure flooded in the last, like, 10 <laughs> years since you gave it to me. But that was definitely an actual thing. Like, I, I had a GameCube with Melee that you gave me, like, 10, maybe 10 years ago now. Um, and it's just crazy. Yeah, it was when you lived in that apartment. Yeah. And it's just crazy that, like, now... You know, I, I don't know. I haven't been there in a while. I don't know what's in the basement. I haven't gone in that basement. I'd be scared to go in that basement probably. But but it's just, yeah, physical things. And me, we don't really get along unless it's clothes. I know where all my clothes are at. But when it comes, I know where all my clothes, I know where all my clothes are at. at. But when it, comes to, when it comes to games, I suck. And that's just, that's just a personal preference. So, again, I prefer, like, cloud gaming would probably work for me. The only thing I'll say is that um, I don't game as much as I used to when I was younger. I typically do this thing where I do like one game at a time. I don't like when yeah. I was younger, I used to play multiple games at one time. Yeah, I would literally play Mega Man Legends. Then I play Strider uh, or Ninja Gaiden. I should say uh, I played Marvel's Capcom when my friends came over. I played Smash Bros. When my friends came over Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. And then I might do Crash Bandicoot in there and whatever. I would, I would play all these different games in a week. Now, when I game, I focus on one game at a time until I'm done, and then that's it. And then I move on to the next game if I move on to a game at all. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. that's kind of how I game as an adult. Uh, so it's weird. Yeah, I remember like one Christmas. Uh, I remember one Christmas I got like I want to say like four PS2 games, yeah. right? And I remember playing all four of them that day. <laughs> like, yeah, S- same. <laughs> I had, I got there was a Christmas where I got literally. Five hundred dollars in, in PS2 games, and I never forget the guy said behind the counter. I picked out ten games, and he said I have never seen anyone come in here and just pick out ten fifty dollar games that all came out to fifty three fifty because of the tax. He's like I've never seen anybody come in here and just buy ten games like this. Like even though it's Christmas and everything, he's like I've never seen that. Like that is just wild. And my dad was like, "Well, he's spoiled." And <laughs> <laughs> just got ten. I got ten. $49.99. None of the games were fucking $29.99 or $20, the greatest hits and all that. I picked out all yeah, new yeah. shit. I wanted all new shit, and they were all 50 bucks. I picked like, out I 10 of them. Yep, and my dad was like, if your, if your grades are good, you can get whatever you want. So I got 10 new games for Christmas, and I played fucking seven of them on, on the first night. My dad would let me open my presents the night before. Um, and I played like seven of them on the first day, and that mm-hmm. was amazing to me. Going back and forth between all those games like that, like cycling back and forth, that felt yeah, great. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. I just don't have it. Nah, I can't. Sometimes I can like, like I'll have a main game. And that, so for example, like right now, my main game is triangle strategy. Yeah. But then I will dabble in, like, let's say I'm laying down to get ready for bed. I'll play a little bit of Slay the Spire or something. Yeah. But like, I, I have games that are low commitment games that you can just kind of mess with. But then in terms of big games, like I have a game that I'm playing and I can't really play anything else. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, and I mean, we can we can transition now into the game that you're playing the most right now, which is Triangle Strategy, right? Yes. Yeah. Bye, so, yeah. So let's yeah we can start to wrap up this episode when getting the Triangle Strategy, which is a strategy RPG made by Square Enix with the artwork of one of my favorite RPGs in the last decade, Octopath Traveler. It looks very similar, but tell us uh tell us about this game and how you've been enjoying it. Um. Well, as far as I know, I mean, I didn't direct, but I'm pretty sure it's made by the same team that okay. made Octopath Traveler. Makes sense. Um, in Square Enix. Uh, so the game is incredible. Like I said, if you play, if you like strategy games, tactical games, Fire Emblem, FF Tactics, 
you will like this game. It's like a foregone conclusion. Yeah. Um, and then even if you don't usually play those games and you just like RPGs in general, I do think there's a good shot you like this game. Uh, the tactics in it are really fun and interesting. It has like this cool flanking system where if you if you have two units on either side of an enemy and you attack, the other one will get to attack. Um, it's got a, a cool level up system with the upgrades and how you upgrade your weapons and get new skills and how the skills impact battle. You start, you dude, you get a. Everybody will understand this. One of your characters has an ability called Act Twice, which just says they get to take two actions. Like <laughs> they just broken. they just get two actions. That's usually some end game type of shit. <laughs> I was just like, like what is master this? a job? You'll master a job, and it'll, it'll get that. It'll be the first job too. It'll be the fucking yeah. freelancer. <laughs> like when you master freelancer, it'll get Act Twice. But um. Yeah, the game, it's... So it has this very... I've heard it compared to Game of Thrones a lot. Because it has this very political intrigue, multiple kingdoms kind of feel. Mm-hmm. So the game you have, um, you know, a continent, multiple kingdoms, and there's this inter-kingdom, like this geopolitical aspect going on with different trade and previous wars and a brewing war and people trying to create peace treaties and you have all these different houses, high houses and lords that are like are scheming behind the scenes here and talking about things there. And it just has this really cool geopolitical aspect on top of you playing this this RPG and going through the game and having your character. Um, and there is like the game is very not afraid and doesn't shy away from like some brutal or gruesome scenes. Like it's a 2D game, but they do a good job at like impacting you with certain things. Like I won't say what characters, but there are characters that do blatantly get just murdered. And like, you see them like fall on the ground and then like, you'll see the blood, like a blood pool start to pour out from under them. Um, like there's characters that have been beheaded in the story. Like there's just has some elements of that too. There was some really dark shit in one of the characters stories and not just one, but one in particular, I couldn't believe I was playing yeah, yes. Yes. Yep. I could not believe it. I was like, this is on Nintendo? It was yep. so dark. And I even screenshotted it and started sending it to some of my Discord group chats. Like, yo, look at this. This is a Nintendo game. Uh, yeah. Because some of I the text boxes. Prim- yeah. Primrose's backstory was wild. So they have that in this. Like, there's some gruesome stuff. There is, like, real weight to the story. And it does give off kind of like this large game of thrones feel to the world the other thing that's super interesting about the game right this is like the almost the biggest selling point to me your choices matter there's so many fucking games where you can make decisions and there's decision trees and all this other stuff and ultimately it doesn't feel like it ever really matters or it's like essentially all the choices culminate into like one thing and it's like do you go left or right basically yeah um or like how many times do you just play a game and then an NPC will ask you a question and then you'll answer. But like the answer is just two of the same thing. And it's just like, yeah, yes or no. And then if you say no, they go, are you sure? And like, you just have to say yes. It's yeah. like, why'd you give me an option? You know? And so this game, as you play through, there's crucial like questions and decisions that you get asked. And when you pick them, it says in the top right corner, like Sarah Noah, that's the name of the main character. Sarah Noah's convictions have been strengthened. Now, there's, like, essentially a conviction value of different things your character values, and it doesn't show you what that is so that you can't, like, metagame it. It doesn't show you your values, but every decision you make, 
impacts your values. What's really cool about this is that there's crucial parts in the story where you have your party and they give you a really tough decision. Um, and you have to be like, okay, what are we going to do? And you have to talk to your party members and they all have opinions and you'll have one option you want to do or whatever. And then you have to sway them. You have like an argument with them and they give you decisions and you have to pick not only the decisions that you think most align with their character. So you have to really, the game does a good job at character writing, building the character, making the characters feel real and understandable. So you have to understand the character and what argument would sway them. But then also throughout the other choices you made throughout the game and like your convictions that have strengthened, um, that, that changes how persuasive your character is in order to even sway them in those decisions. So then what ends up happening is you talk to all your party members and then your party members vote. And then whatever they vote, even if they don't agree with the choice you wanted to do, you go with the, the opinion of the, the, the majority mm. and your route splits. And now you go on to this mission that you guys decided to do, even if it's not the mission you wanted to do because you weren't able to convince your party or, or and stuff like that. That's so, really cool. Dude, it's so interesting. Like there was one time, most of the times I was able to convince people to do the, the route I wanted to do. Yeah. There was one time where I wasn't, and I felt it too. I went in and tried to convince them <laughs> and I felt it before, because I, I streamed everything. So you can look back. I said before the vote started, I was like, guys, I don't feel good about this. I was like, I don't think I convinced them. I was like, I've really, and where other times I'm like, I felt good. I'm like, no, I think I did good. And like, I, I was right. But I was like, guys, I don't feel good. I don't know if I got them. And then, like, they voted, and I lost 7-0. Like, they all voted against me. They were like, no. Did everybody <laughs> want to Bernie Sanders? Well, you wanted Bernie Sanders, and everybody else wanted fucking Hillary. They were like, no. And I was like, hold. And what's really cool is I could be scum and just, I mean, not scum, but to me, scum. I could just reload my save yeah, until I got, make got my way. Make choices to get it, yeah. But I think part of what makes the game so engaging is just, like, being in the game and being like, okay, I couldn't convince them. Like we have to deal with these consequences and keep moving forward. Yeah. And it creates a really, really interesting aspect of the game. Um, where all these little things and you make crucial decisions like every chapter. And so all these little things really build up and, uh, create this crazy, um, interesting, uh, story that plays out because me, the grand story tends to be roughly the same, but me, my friend Gary, my friend Nick are all playing the game at the same time. And although the grand story is somewhat the same, all the little things and how we got there are different. So there's things that like, there's a lot of things that we just didn't do or party members that we all have differently because all the little things that matter along the way are different for us. Yeah. And so it just creates a really engaging experience. And that's almost more that's that's a bigger selling point than the tactics. The tactics of the gameplay is amazing, but I've played great tactic games a million times. The huge draw of this game is that um, that democracy and like conviction system. Um, it brings the game a really long way. Highly, highly recommended. It's a game where your choices truly feel like they matter. Now, um, do you, is, does, does the game have jobs, or do characters have specific jobs assigned to them that are, like, changeable, or are they stuck in the job, or how does that work? So so you don't have, there's not, like, a changeable job system mm -hmm. where you can't, like, the main character can't be a freelancer, warrior, rogue. Um, each character is, like, their class, yep. and they all have their own thing, but within each character, they have a a pretty cool, like, upgrade system. Um, where you upgrade their weapon, you can also promote them, and you can do different things to uh, make them. So, for example, the Fire Mage. Early on, you get a character that 
is specialized in fire magic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, through upgrading her, there's you can make her kind of your your own thing. What you want to do, for example, she has an ability that says when there's clear weather, she does more damage. Um, and that's but it, you can just not take that ability and take like other abilities, or she'll have an ability that like her AOE fire attack does more damage, or her single target fire attack does more damage, and you can specialize which different things you want, or you can increase her HP and all this. So the way you have the upgrade tree on the character um, gives you some diversity on how you build it, but she's still a fire mage. She'll yeah. never become a water mage or whatever. Yeah, yeah. and the and so are are the characters' classes unique to them? Like, are there multiple people doing the same type of thing, or is that not a thing either? No, for the most part. So this is something else the game does pretty amazing. Everybody plays the way they play. There's not, you don't have three different warriors. So they're unique as hell then. They're very unique. For example, I have more than one healer. At this point, I have, I have like three or four characters that could play the role as a healer. Yeah. But they all play the role as a healer very differently. Okay. So I have the default healer. She, she, she just basically has cure wounds and she has like an AOE heal spell and like, you know, and she has like a status ailment heal. She's like the default healer. But then there's um, an item-based healer who specializes when she uses healing items, they're more potent. She can use healing r- items at, at more range. And so she does all her healing through the use of items, and she's better at using item healing. And then there's another healer, which is crazy. She specializes on, like, moving, and the more she moves, the better, like, the more mana she basically gets. And then she can do um, an AoE heal, and then she can also do a heal whenever she does a follow-up attack. So she's a very, like, aggressive healer. Yeah. So there's, there's just, like, even amongst, like, the healers, I have, like, four healers, they all play the role differently and fulfill different um niches that you would need you're playing a game on hard mode or something right i play yeah i play strategy games almost always on the hardest difficulty okay. so yeah I'm playing on hard so yeah, you need and those you need those healers too is this game hard it is fucking hard like <laughs> it is really fucking hard there's been times i'm fraser you know this there's been times <laughs> where I'm like, what the fuck and I'm, like, I'm doing everything wrong this fuck oh my god this fucking sucks but Anybody that knows me knows that's when I'm having my most fun in a strategy game when yeah. I'm just like, this is so fucking stupid. And I'm really just like, it's really fun. Like, I just did a map recently where I start off in like the bottom of a ravine and on the top of like the canyon or whatever are archers all around me. And I'm like, what am I supposed to do here? Like, how do I get out of this? I'm like, I just start the map in a fucked position. Um, but it's really fun when you finally claw your way out of it and you get control of the map and you're like when you get it all under control you start off with everything against you and you're like okay cool like i broke the board i'm in uh and you know you end up clearing the map it feels really good yeah i i'm interested in this game even though i'm not the biggest fan of strategy uh rpgs if i'm being honest but i did i think the most fun i ever had with a strategy rpg was this Gaia. i never played any fire emblem games uh but how would you say this compares to fire emblem and like what maybe just compare and contrast to kind of end off the triangle strategy I think, bit. I think they're very comparable games. Okay. Um, they're made by two because, different companies though, right? Fire Emblem is not square. No, Fire Emblem's made by Intelligent Systems. Okay. Um it's a Nintendo exclusive franchise made under the banner of Intelligent Systems. Okay. Um but they're very similar games. You can tell that uh Triangle Strategy has taken inspiration from I think most obviously 
FF Tactics and Fire Emblem. Like, I know that, to me, those are, like, the premier strategy games that have made it long-term. I mean, even though FF Tactics, I guess, technically hasn't made it long-term, there hasn't been new ones. But those are the two premier strategy games I think people talk about the most. And then I mentioned Dusk Guy a lot. Yeah. Um, but it's taken a lot of DNA from those two franchises. It has, like, the... Fire Emblem has the geopolitical aspect, the the large continent, the the various kingdoms vying for different power, either behind the scenes or up front. So it has a lot of that in there. It has similar gameplay, but Triangle Strategy is much more has much more um, RPG customization elements than most Fire Emblem games have. That I think somebody who likes traditional JRPGs would like more in Triangle Strategy, and uh, it's also. Even though it's very hard, it's more forgiving because it's not permadeath. One of the big problems with Fire Emblem is like when a character dies, they're dead. And that's just it. They're dead forever. Period. That's so There's wild no... to me because in my head, how many different storylines do they have to write for Fire Emblem? Well, so what they do is really unique in Fire Emblem is that you have the main story. So like if the main character dies, the game doesn't keep going. You get game over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, imagine that. But I, like imagine the main love interest dying though. Like the imagine the I guess you can't kill Yuna because she's the fucking whole story. But imagine Lulu dying for real. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like imagine Lulu so, dying in Final Fantasy X. Like that's wild. Something they do that's cool is that you have the main story, and there's characters that are one million percent integral to the main story in Fire Emblem. Yeah. And there's like no way around it. So if you if they die, you get game over. Oh, basically. okay. So if certain characters do die, it is game over, and it doesn't have to necessarily be the the main character. Yeah, yeah, but it'll only be like two characters like it's a very small gotcha number i did but see what you playing do, one on stream i think i said protect this guy or else you, or else you lose or right? you lose yeah. yeah but what what they do though is all the characters will have input in things that it will do in the story as the story goes on they'll you know they'll do they'll have interactions character interactions that'll grow the story whatever increase the story yeah. but if they die they just won't be there and you'll miss so you'll miss out on their insight their Whatever that, whatever interactions they might have, they just like won't be there, or they'll be filled in by somebody else. Another thing they do is they build a lot of those characters' interpersonal stories in these things called support conversations. Mm -hmm. So a lot of if your favorite character is this guy over here, a lot of his personal story is essentially side story. You have to unlock it by using him. The more you use him, the more you'll unlock his story gotcha. on its own. It'll be like its own dialogue that you can go. Is unlock. it like those things in uh? Like the Tales games where you press the button and they put up the little bubble things and they talk or whatever. It kind of like it's that. similar. It's similar to that. Yeah. Gotcha. It's similar. Like the idea. Maybe not the exact same style, but. Yeah. Yeah. Because even Octopath oh. Traveler had the. It had the uh, Tales games thing where I'm just going to call it that because I don't know what else to call it, but those little cutscenes that you can, you can choose to press a button to bring them up. Like you'll see it in the bottom left corner. It'll say, yep. That time we all ate uh, shrimp. And then it'll be a couple of characters talking about how they're allergic. And then, you know, it'd be a little funny yeah, conversation. Yeah. You don't have to listen to it at all, though. Yeah. So, like, in Three Houses, for example, one of my favorite, favorite support conversations, as they're called, is there's this character named Kaspar and this woman named Petra. And Kaspar is from the Kingdom of Adrestia, which is the kingdom you play in in one of the routes. And then Petra is from this kingdom called Bridget. She's the princess of there. Mm -hmm. That kingdom ended up getting, like, they went to war, the two kingdoms went to war, and then that, the woman's kingdom ended up becoming, like, subservient to the other kingdom. And then so, as a show of good faith, they literally sent their princess to basically be a ward, like, kind of like in uh, Game of Thrones with the Greyjoys and the Starks. Okay, She's yeah. sent there to be, like, a ward. 
And then anyway, these two characters end up interacting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much, right? These two characters end up interacting, and they have a really cool interaction because, like, their parents fought in the war. Yeah. But they're friends. But, like, they've become friends. And they just... They had this really interesting interaction. You learn a lot about their characters and the history of the world. And you only get that if they don't die and if you use both of those characters. So it's really interesting. Man, that sounds good. I, I've i been watching you stream it a bit on Critical Hit Plus. I know you stream on Twitch. So for people who are interested in watching Triangle Strategy or if you're playing it yourself and you want to see Kenny stream, follow him on Critical Hit Plus. Uh, and that's the plus sign, right? It's Critical Hit Plus. Oh. We stylize it with the plus sign, but for Twitch, you couldn't like the username couldn't use the plus sign, so it's the word plus. Oh, okay, okay. So it is critical hit plus, all written out as all words. Yeah, gotcha. All right. Well, that being said, uh, this wraps up this episode of the I'm There podcast. This is a episode fifty eight, I think. So we're coming up on sixty real soon. I, I'm thinking about some other things for the Patreon too. I was thinking about because it seems that most people, so we have a $20 tier and the $20 tier has some things like you can challenge us to a duel in any format and that type of thing, but only a few people will ever use it. Uh, but I was thinking about doing this and I want to discuss this more with you probably off the podcast, but I know some other Patreons do like a uh, once a month, they'll do like a live Q and a type of thing with their patrons. And so it'll be, you know, just us all hanging out and maybe voice chat and just talking or, you know, actual Q&A. Like they just ask us stuff and we answer or whatever. Um, but something like that for our patrons at the, the $20 tier, which is pretty much the highest tier because the tier higher than that is like it's a, only one person can buy it at a time. But I was wondering what you would think about something like that. And, and you guys who are listening, let us know if you'd be interested in that type of thing where we do have a tier where people can, you know, once a month, we'll just schedule a date. And everyone in the Discord, because everyone who's in the Patreon also has access to the Discord server, they can join in on these. Uh, me and Kenny will just kind of go live and in a Discord, and we'll we'll just talk. We'll all just talk and hang out. Yeah, it sounds good. We can iron out some of the details. Yeah, people, uh, let us know. Let yeah. us know. All right, well, hope you guys enjoyed this. As I always say, do the things that make you happy. And uh, yeah, peace out. So long, gay Bowser. <laughs>
Thank you.